Uh, as always, preparing for uh, this weekend, there's something I started to think about last, uh, say after Thanksgiving. Uh, but, um, you know, have you ever considered what happened the day after Jesus was born? You know, yesterday was Christmas. Today is the famous 26th. And, you know, I was thinking, what are the things that happened? And so as I was going through scripture and remembering, it's like eight days after he was born, they took him to the temple, right? And they offered sacrifices uh, and he was circumcised. So kids, you can ask your parents after service today about that. But then there's this, this vast goal for this, that there's nothing. Um, but before we go on, let's just do a little quiz. Everybody likes yelling in church, right? Nobody, nobody's yelled. Okay. All right. So kids, be particularly loud if you know this. So you, everybody's seen the nativity scenes, right? Whether it's a silhouette, you know, or, or back in the olden days, there used to be on the courthouse lawn, okay? Or it might be on your line, right? And you always have, we got the manger there, and we have, we, we got Mary that's there, we got the animals, the farm animals that are there, and, and they have Joseph there. For some reason, he's a carpenter, but they give him a shepherd's staff sometimes. You know, have you ever thought about that? No? Anyways, the shepherds come, because we heard Eric teach, right? Glory in the highest, and uh, telling the shepherds, so the shepherds end up showing up there. But here's the quiz question, okay? So you have to yell really loud. Were the wise men at the stable? Okay, I just want everybody 12 and under. Okay, kids, so stand up so I can see you. All right, so you're going to answer this as loud as you can. Probably the last time you get to yell in the sanctuary. Were the wise men at the stable when Jesus was born? You're right, they weren't. Good job. So it was a couple years later. If you read Matthew chapter two, as you start to go to, through that, you're, here's these guys, they've been traveling, following a star, right? And so they're taking the Uber camel across the desert, you know, cause they're likely from Iran or Iraq today, the old Persian empire. So whether they're pagan uh, wise men are actually disciples of Daniel when he was in Babylon a couple hundred years before that. Who knows? I have my opinion and you'll see from what I talk about. So they're going and then they, they get to Jerusalem, right? Now these guys are not dressed the same, all right? They have things with them. They have, a, they are, they have camels, okay? And they get to Jerusalem and when they get to Jerusalem, they have this conversation and they end up getting to see Herod the king, right? So listen to what they ask Herod when they come to him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now Herod is the king that's appointed over that area, King Herod. And they've just come into his, his throne room or wherever he's at and said, where's the king of the Jews? If I was Herod, I'd be like, I thought I was. And so they have this dialogue and Herod is troubled. And it's so big that not just Herod, Jerusalem, which at that time was between 40 and 80,000 people, the whole town is troubled. Here's these people, got camels likely, have, have things with them, and 
they're dressed different and they come in, they get to see Herod and now the gossip has spread through the town and Jerusalem is troubled. So Herod's like, hey, call my religious council. So he calls the chief, the chief priest and some scribes and he said, hey, these dudes said this. Is there any truth to this? And they come back in verse six of Matthew two, telling them and validate the truth of this claim. It says, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he gets the answer. So Herod talks to the wise men and says, hey, go to Bethlehem. And then the lies start coming out of his mouth. And when you, when you get there, send back and tell me so that I can come and worship him. And the wise men on their way, they're warned in a dream, so they don't return. They don't go tell him where he's at. And they get there. Now, what, what it says in verse 11, it says, when they'd come into the house. So there's our first thing. They are not at the stable. They went to a house. They saw the young child, not an infant, not a baby, a young child. I doubt if Jesus was a terrible two, but he was probably two with Mary, his mother. Now listen, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When I was reading this and thinking about this, my I think I lost a few brain cells. It just went pop. Even in, in your, your own scenario of, of trying to make this real, you come into a house that you've been following this star. You go talk to the government. Oh yeah, he's in this town, which is only about 20,000 people. You go there and you find out which house. You go there, you go in the house, there's the mom and here's this two-year-old toddling around, likely just in a cloth diaper. And their response is to fall down and worship him. My mind was boggled. And do you remember what they asked Herod? Where is the king? And he's two years old. And they did what? They gave gifts to him. Oh yeah, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But reflecting on yesterday, we gave gifts. And when you give gifts, it's because you adore or love the other person. This is a gift I got from a Chinese uh, national. He's, so he's a house church leader. And it took me three years to figure out what this is. But he loves me a lot. And so every time I see this, I pray for him. And I remember, and I just got a Facebook message saying Merry Christmas from him this week too. And just in case, just so you're not confused the whole message and you can focus, it's a toothpick holder. So, but it's still a gift, all right? It's still a gift from China. And so they fell down, they worshiped, and they gave gifts in adoration to a two-year-old These Gentiles recognized the king of the Jews had come. What's even more disturbing is that the chief priests and scribes knew what the scripture said. They didn't go with them to go worship Jesus. 
They didn't go with them to find the king of the Jews. Our text is not Matthew 2. It's going to be Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. But all of this leads to the same thing that these wise men understood. Is they beheld the king. They beheld the king. So let's pray. Father, we come to you today and uh, just ask that your spirit would quicken the hearts and minds of those that are here to hear the truth of your word, even as we go through it. And we do lift up uh, numerous prayer requests that we all might have, whether it's family or loved ones, whether those that have lost, uh, even first service, the, the gentleman who's in the hospital with COVID, we lift him up as well. Just ask uh, for your work in this world today, that the truth of what your son has done becomes a reality because that's our only hope. So may you be with us. May your truth go forth. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of today's encouragement is Behold the King. And just, just to give you that word behold, because that's actually how Philippians is going to start out in verse 5 is, is that aspect not just to look upon, but to look upon with knowledge, to look upon knowing that there's, there's some level of knowledge and understanding and comprehension there that is beyond just seeing. So let's look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, as we just look at verses 5 through 8, normally that's a deep theological point of the doctrine of the incarnation. And it is very important, but I'm not going to geek out on you this morning with theology. But I want you to encourage you as, as we look at this is that you behold the king. This king who was born over 2,000 years ago that the wise men understood to be king. Just uh, Wednesday, some of you know Joni. She gave me a card and I'm like, okay, I'm definitely supposed to teach this message. So it's the wise, wise men on there, right? And what it says is the wise still seek him. And in these verses, verses 5 through uh, 7 particularly, it shows that the king has come. We all like a good story, don't we? And some of you will remember these stories. You know, Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, Lord of the Rings, right? You have Aslan, who's uh, the king, but people don't recognize him the king until after his death and resurrection in that uh, metaphor. You have Lord of the Rings, right? Strider, the humble 
protector of the hobbits and you know he's always shrouded nobody knows until what it's revealed that he's Aragon who's the son who's going to be the heir to the throne Uh, just this past I think it's past week uh, anybody go see American Underdog yet all right here you have Kurt Warner supermarket shelf stalker that becomes winning Super Bowl quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams, right? And so in a lot of these stories, the potential of who these people is missed, but how much greater of a story do we have in front of us right now? Is that we have the son of God who's come. And he's described in his incarnation right here. Being in the form of God. He is the pre-existent son of God. You've heard the captain of the Lord's army, the angel of the Lord. In his, in his high priestly prayer in, in John 17, he says, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before I came. He made himself, or he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This wasn't a scheme of his to become God. He wasn't trying to steal it. He wasn't trying to grasp it. And we know somebody who tried to do that in the garden, don't we? Made himself of no reputation. In his incarnation, when he came to this earth, part of it was that he chose humility. Taking the form of a bondservant. Disguised his glory, he sought to serve. In fact, if you flip over to Mark 10... And I'll just give you a, a quick summary. You know, the disciples are awesome sometimes, right? So you got, and I'm going to summarize. This is just a summary. You got James and John that said, you know, hey, Jesus, will you do something for us, even if you don't know what we're going to ask you? This sounds like a little kid, doesn't it? He comes up, Mom, can you just say yes? Can you just say yes? And then you're going to ask the question. So they do that, you know, and Jesus talks with them. And he says, oh, by the way, you're going to suffer just like uh, you're going to drink the cup that I drink from. You're going to suffer. suffer. Um, and then the other 10 hear it. All right. And you can just imagine the 10 are surrounding James and John. What are you doing? How come you're so special? And they start bickering. And then Jesus is like, well, I guess I got to disciple the disciples now. And you hit verse 41 and you start to read through that. And he says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Now listen, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his ransom, give his life as a ransom for many. So he came in the likeness of men. He identified with humanity, the perfect image of God, the son of God in the likeness of his creation, mankind. He was a king that had come, but the Jewish people were looking for a physical liberator, weren't they? 
We want to get out from under the oppression of Rome. They wanted a conquering king to conquer the world. They wanted a ruling Messiah. But what they missed is that the king did come to set captives free from the God of this age. Is that he did come to conquer sin and death. And that he did come to rule the hearts of men as their savior and Lord. Now we read in, we told you in Matthew 2, the chief priests missed it, didn't they? They knew what the scripture said. They knew what the prophecy was about him coming, but they missed it. Herod missed the king. The Jewish people missed their Messiah. Can I ask you, don't miss the king. Jesus came. He made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant to win. Though many say he was a good teacher, that's true, but he was also the king. Others say he was a madman, but that's just shoving aside historical records. He condescended, he came to be like us. He is the second Adam, except he did not succumb to the temptation, did he? He lived the perfect life. The king has come. But if we look at verse 8, which is the pinnacle in Philippians chapter 2, the king has won. Being found in the appearance as a man, he, there's eyewitness evidence. One of the number one heresies that started to creep up after Jesus and the apostles was denying the reality of Jesus as a person. In my sarcasm, I call one of those the ghost who walks. I think there's docetism. There had been influence, all matter is evil, so Jesus can't be evil, so he must have just been a spirit. And there's many others, but it's validated by eyewitness evidence. He humbled himself. He left his glory with God and came in the likeness of his creation. Now listen, he became obedient. He had a sinless life. He was innocent. Hebrews 5, verse 8 through 9, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now a way that people twist scripture like, well, see, look, Jesus wasn't God. He had to learn something. Well, this is where our English language fails us. He experienced obedience by coming in the flesh and actually living it out. And he was perfected, not that he was imperfect, not that he was imperfect, but that he was complete in what he was doing with the plan of salvation. That obedience was to the point of death, the death of the cross. It's something that we can't imagine very well because we don't have public crucifixions, do we? One of the most grotesque ways to die. Have you seen the movie The Passion? Anybody? That is probably the most visually accurate thing that you're going to find. Now, I need you to remember, he's beaten within an inch of his life. Do you remember that cat of nine tails with bone and glass and ball bearings that were on it? Do you remember that his back is flayed open of what happened? Then, oh, here's your uh, little railroad tie that you get to carry. 
So when we think about the point of death, oh yeah, Jesus died. I, I, don't, I think we missed the part. Do you understand the suffering that he went through? The physical pain and anguish, probably beyond our comprehension because words and even Mel Gibson films can't express the totality of what it was likely like. To the point of death, the death of the cross, and it's important. Because in John 10 and in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12 says, For the joy set before him endured the cross. That was the motivation. Looking past the cross to the, the joy that's on the other side of it. In John chapter 10, he says, No one takes my life, I lay it down. And I can take it up again. But he laid it down for us. Now, what did that happen? What was this, the spiritual implications? We didn't know, we didn't see that the Jewish nation conquered Rome, did we? We didn't see that at all. But if we start to go through scripture, what actually happened? Colossians 2, verse 14, and he wipes out the handwriting of requirements. He's taken it out of the way. He's nailed it to the cross. He disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. It's far, hard for us to imagine this because, you know, we have parades and things like that. But what would happen in the time of Rome is that when they would conquer a nation or a people, they would take those captives captive and they would parade back into whatever the main city was. And whoever the victor was is up front, either in a chariot or a white stallion or a chariot pulled with white stallions. And this is the victor. And here are those he has triumphed over right behind him. And this is what spiritually has happened but there's more. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15. When you get in, it says that, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Verse 8 is saying the king has won. Something that we too often forget today. But if we, if we summarize this, is that he's removed the physical requirements for you to practice to be in God's presence that we can't fulfill. He's disarmed the principalities and powers. He's triumphed over them. The king destroyed death and the fear of death. He destroyed the works of the devil. The king has won. Well, if we're in the Southern Baptist Church, the king has won. Have you forgot? He's won. That's the reality. Not only did he just come for us, and he came in the likeness of man to pay for the price, is that he has won. There's not a chance of him losing tomorrow. There's not a chance of him losing you tomorrow if you believe in Jesus Christ. This is something that should be an anchor for our soul, despite the things that we go through. The king is one. If you go down to verse 9 in Philippians 2, the king is worshipped. Just to read it again, 
Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has highly exalted him. He, and it's hard to get this, this Greek word. It's like he's super super exalted him, like he's elevated beyond anything. To use German, he's uber exalted. It's like we can't fathom how much that he's been exalted. How can he be exalted more than he was before? It's because this plan of redemption has been carried out for the salvation of our souls. You remember what he said in Mark 10. Humility leads to exaltation. Being humble led to exaltation. And what happens is he's given the name above every name. Now, Isaiah 9, 6 might come to your mind, a great Christmas verse. It says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Think about that written by Isaiah of what his name is. But it's likely tied to Revelation chapter 19 when we get there in a few weeks. Verse 16. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not just a king. He's the king of all kings. He's not just Lord. He's Lord over all lords. And what's significant is if you remember the Gospels and you dig down into those in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, which is the divine name. And you remember that I think it was Mark is when they go into the garden, Garden Gethsemane to take him. They ask, are you him? And he says, I am. What happens? They fall over. just at him uttering that name. Names are significant. Just to scar your memory and to be the unique pastor, my last name is Hooker. If this was 200 years ago, you wouldn't chuckle. So you could look up your name and your surname and you could see what's the history of it, right? So originally it came from England like 1500s or whatever, and it made the, meant the dude who made the fish hooks. Okay, really significant, isn't it? Or it was the person that, that lived on a portion of land that was hooked out into the ocean, right? And then, unfortunately, some of my descendants came along during the Civil War, and I'll just say they had the lowest AWOL rate during the Civil War, and that's why everybody chuckles now. But what is happening here with this name It's likely the exaltation of the human name of Jesus being Yahweh. It's that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is Yahweh. So think of this as a proclamation of the victor in war whose name has been highly exalted. Now, not only is Jesus exalted And given a name that's above all name, if you look what happens in verse 10, 
is that there's a required response. This is not optional. And this is alluding to Isaiah 45, verse 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. The words are like every. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say maybe, might, partial, half. It's all. Everyone is going to do this. This happens. And this happens because of his exaltation. Paul encouraged the Ephesians in in chapter 1, telling them uh, who Jesus is. And it said what happened. It says he's seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power, might and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only now, but in the ages to come. He put everything under his feet. So in the fact that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, I want you to go back to where we started with the wise men. Three non-Jewish, so Gentile, whether they are Persian, whatever, wise men. Not from the area. At least three. They come and when they find him, a two-year-old, they fall down and they worship and give gifts because they behold the king. And as we close and as you ref- reflect upon this, of not only thinking of Jesus as a baby born in a manger, as a revelation of the Savior, but the king was born. And as the wise men respond, is there's an obligation to respond today. Now, Christian, you might be saying, this is awesome. This is great. I'm glad we went through this. Is that us in our humilities, we still need to have that prayer. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, please help me be faithful when things get worse. But others of us have forgotten the king, haven't we? We have willingly placed ourselves in subjection back into this world of worry and fear and anxiety. We've placed ourselves back into this world of defeat. The king has won. We've, we've gotten off of the king's highway and we've gotten back onto our byway of selfishness, self-preservation, self-sufficiency, because we've forgotten the king. And last, if you remember what we read, wise men come and says, where's the king of the Jews? And everybody loses their mind. There's turmoil and trouble. We see what the chief priests and the scribes said, and we can see the life of Jesus. He wasn't the guest speaker with the Pharisees. The Pharisees rejected him as king. Sadducees rejected him as king. The scribes rejected him as king. The chief priests rejected him as king. They responded in anger, didn't they? To the point they had him killed. If that's where you're at today, may I plead with you that there will come a day that you will bow your knee and you will say that Jesus is the king and he is Lord. 
But I plead with you today because today he comes to serve. Today he's coming as Savior. God is not wearing a judge's robe with a gavel right now. God loves you so much he sent his son for you. Peter wrote in his letter, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why you're here today. That's why you're waiting today. But there comes a time. So it's either today that we fall down and worship him and give gifts and accept him as our Lord and Savior, or there's tomorrow where you're forced for eternity to bow the knee and to confess him as Lord and he is judge because he's giving you your requested consequence of separation from God which he has no desire to grant. So as you stand, please think about these things. Christian, if you need prayer, please come forward. Those of you that want to believe in the king, by faith, from your nose to your toes, The son of God came, he is Jesus, he lived a sinless life. He died and paid for my sins and rose again. Please come forward as a ministry team, a prayer team up front. As our worship team begins to come out, let's just stand and I'll pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. And we just ask that the reality of Jesus as king would be something that is on our hearts and our minds. For those that are believers, may it encourage us to remember what he has done. He is the victor. He's defeated sin and death. He's defeated the enemy. Jesus has paid it all. For those that are struggling, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would minister truth to them even right now. And that today would be the day that they fall down and worship the King who is Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.